Thanks, Heidi. It was read clearly. Look forward to seeing what you come up with, church, for the uh, second part of the sermon. I know that's a little unusual. The reason being, I'm going to attempt to do something I, I just never do, which is try and preach short. And uh, there's, there's probably like three or four, five, six sermons in here today. And so I thought I'd give you an opportunity to help me decide where I put my emphasis today. I do want to start, though, with um, the main part of the passage, the first part uh, in front of us. So I'm going to ask that God would help us. Uh, when it gets to the point where we choose our own adventure, so after verse 12, I'm going to look up and basically whoever comes first to tell me, can you talk to me about or what about, uh, you'll be the one that we'll pick and we'll, we'll keep going. Does that sound all right? So pistols ready. All right. Uh, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word preserved. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would be at work, opening our hearts to hear your word, to be challenged and to be changed by it. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, actually, I was going to ask my wife this morning whether I could share this story, but she's teaching in kids, so no. Uh, the, the, uh, the wonderful thing about my wife is that she's a midwife, which is brilliant. Uh, it means she knows lots about uh, having babies and all those sorts of things, and people who are pregnant. Uh, and when she was pregnant, uh, she knew that we were getting towards the time when she would be having a baby, but uh, she wasn't convinced that it was going to be the time at the point where she was holding a very late baby shower. And so we were living in Wollongong at the time, and we were up in Sydney, and uh, she'd been having kind of Braxton Hicks uh, through most of the day on the drive up there, and then she'd gone to the party, and she was out, and uh, she came home from the party, and I was staying over my mum and dad's place, and she came home from the party, and she's there going, Whoa, and she's doubling over, and then standing back up and keeping on talking. I said, uh, beautiful, I think maybe something's happening. And she said, no, I'm fine. I said, I don't know that you are, actually. I, I think that you're probably in the process of having a baby right now. She said, oh, I don't think so. I said, well, how about we call someone and we'll check it out. Anyway, <laughs> they said, yes, you're probably in labor now. <laughs> we need to go to the hospital. So instead of being born in Wollongong, uh, Ruby was born in this emergency. Uh, at, at, we went in through there in Hornsby Hospital, and uh, she was born... Uh, a long way away from home, which was, uh, which was quite fun. The point being, we knew it was going to happen, but we weren't exactly sure when it was going to happen. So it was waiting with a little bit of surprise, and that's exactly what Paul talks about in this first section here. Open up 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 3 together. Now, brothers and sisters, about time and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. It's absolutely fascinating. If you knew when the thief was going to come, would you be robbed? Very good. None of you would be. That's good. Uh, what it's saying here is that there's a group of people in the world who are saying to each other peace and safety when Jesus returns. And he returns as judge and it surprises them, it shocks them, they are not ready, it's like a thief in the night, or like labor pains on a pregnant woman. Kind of you think that maybe it'll happen someday, but you, you don't think it will. That is the way Jesus describes the group of people who don't expect his return. And I guess to that group of people who think, Jesus died a long time ago, apparently he didn't stay dead, he came alive again, 
He's in heaven. I honestly never knew he'd come back when I was a kid. I did all the Sunday school stuff. I never knew he'd come back. I wasn't expecting it. And if he had come back, I would have been surprised. I guess I want to say to everyone today, you know what they say about tomorrow? What do they say about tomorrow? Tomorrow will? Someone knows this. Is this an old saying? Am I getting old? Do you know this saying? Tomorrow never comes? Someone nod ahead. All right, good. Anyway, so the idea here is one day tomorrow will come. The return of Jesus, which has never happened before, will one day come. Tomorrow will come one day. And we need to know, we need to be ready. And although it will be a shock for some, it mustn't be for us. Uh, and that's exactly what he goes on to say in, uh, in the next couple of verses. I don't, I don't know about you, uh, but there's a difference between waiting for a thief, which I'm never waiting for, and waiting for a delivery for internet shopping. Anyone with me? How do you feel about waiting for a delivery for internet shopping? Is it here yet? Is it here yet? Is this the day that it's going to arrive? Okay, I'm, look, uh, I was home for most of it, but I'm go, I've got to be out between, I don't think it'll come now. Um, I, I get so crazy that I actually put signs up on the door of my house saying, I'm just five minutes, don't, can you call me? And then you get one of these magnificent things. Do you know, do you know them? We're really sorry we missed you. But, but when it comes to internet delivery, it's the total opposite of the thief. I am absolutely waiting for them. I'm in full anticipation mode, waiting for that goodness, that little package of goodness to come to me. That is how Christians should be, should be waiting. We should be waiting but wakeful. Have a look at verses uh, 4 to 8 here. Uh, in chapter 5, sorry, I'm coming across. But you, brothers and sisters, see, this is the contrast. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. So this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. See, how, how should we be waiting? We should be waiting in eager anticipation that that day is coming. So Christians should be waiting well. It should not be a surprise. And I think I told you guys before, when I was in high school, uh, Mate and I decided that we needed to be waiting better for Jesus' return. And so what we would do is we would be sitting there in maths, and one, or wherever it was, for about, I don't know, about nine months for this, this about year 12. And we'd look at each other, and we'd just go, Now! Wherever. So, so, you know, just walking along, we're having a chat. Did you see the cricket yesterday, how dismal the Australians? Now! And you just have this moment where you go, wow, am I ready for Jesus to return right now in the midst of maths? I mean, yes, I don't want to have the rest of this double period stretching on into eternity. Come, Lord Jesus, that would be great. But it was fantastic because both of us, just whenever we had a cheeky little thought pop into our heads, we just go, now, at each other. And I love it in terms of thinking, are you ready? Do you believe it could happen in the midst of life? Are you ready that Jesus' return could happen upon us at any point? He stands at the door. One day he will return, and it should not be a surprise to the people of God. In fact, I think it should be a bit like labor pain, shouldn't it? Uh, there's a large lump 
suggesting that we're somewhere near full term. In fact, I was having a lovely chat with Lisa. Where's she gone? She's up the back there. Lisa was just saying she's two weeks away. Two weeks, Lisa? Lisa? Two weeks away. Do you reckon that we are expecting some movement at the station? We are expecting some movement at the station. So we're anticipating that happening. It doesn't mean when it actually happens that we won't be a little bit surprised, but we won't be totally surprised. We won't be, oh my goodness, a baby's coming. Who knew? For us as Christians, we should be ready and waiting, and we should be waiting, did you notice, with the armor that God provides. Uh, An armor that we heard something about in our Ephesians series, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. What's the key? Key to, to waiting well for Christians is faith, hope, and love. They must characterize us. They must characterize our waiting for Jesus' return. Uh, does anyone know this building here? Uh, Steve, can you tell us what it is? Don't know the name? Does anyone know where it is? Have you seen it? Yeah, it's called the Sirius Building. It's um, a piece of brutalist architecture. What a wonderful name, hey? In other words, ugly concrete. I think that's basically what, that's the architect's call, ugly con- concrete. Uh, it's in, it's um, on your way as you're going across the Harbour Bridge with the, you know, the harbour there. And uh, it was up for, will they preserve it as a wonderful masterpiece of brutalist design? And the answer was, bump It is now appointed for destruction. It's appointed for destruction. They're going to pull it down. Obviously because the government makes more money doing that. It's public housing, which is quite remarkable. Uh, So appointed for destruction. Now, some things were appointed for destruction and got saved, I think. Some of our our lovely jacarandas in Cam. Does anyone know anything about this? Yeah. Although I think three of them did get taken out, though, didn't they? Just at the crossings, yeah. But, but they, they're now, we love them. We absolutely love their, their, they're appointed for salvation. We want to we hang on to uh, our, our jacarandas. Uh, a decision has been made and their destiny is decided. One for destruction, one for salvation. Uh, have a look at the way Paul uses uh, that language again, not verses four to eight, but in what follows, verses uh, nine to 11. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. See, the good news is God has chosen you if you love him. God has chosen you not to suffer destruction on the day that Jesus will return. Isn't that good? He has chosen you. He has appointed you for salvation. And the amazing thing to see here is, because it's his work, because it's his work and not our work, we need to know that we cannot achieve salvation, but have a look at verse 9, what does it say? Uh, Not to suffer wrath, but to what? Receive salvation. Now, my my, uh, Sunday school teacher when I was a boy used to bang on about this all the time. He says, you cannot receive, so you cannot achieve salvation, you must receive salvation. You cannot achieve salvation, so no amount of your work will get you saved. Building a stairway to heaven with your goodness will always crumble and fall. You must receive salvation. God himself saves us by his grace. So you can't achieve it, you must... Yeah, that's the sort of interaction we're going for. Great. You can't achieve it, you must... Oh, that's right, we're feeling it this morning, that's great. Uh, And... 
We will be Jesus's dead or alive. Do you remember we heard that last week? He died for us, verse 10 tells us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So don't worry if you're dead before Jesus returns. Guess what? He'll wake you and take you to be with him. And if you're alive when he comes, you'll be taken up to be with him forever in the air. What a joyous thing that is. Uh, it says this beautifully in John 3.16. You know John 3.16? Have you heard of that before? Come on, church. Have you heard it before? Do you know verse 17, though? Have a look at this. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We all know that bit. Have a look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. How good's that? He did not send him to condemn, but he sent him to save. Be saved on that day by receiving salvation from our great God. Well, how do we best prepare for a thief? I thought about this. There's two ways, two ways to prepare for a thief. Option number one, which is kind of the uh, North Shore of Sydney and gated communities. Uh, Option number one is to increase security. No thief will get in. Option number two is to go live in Vanuatu and lower your sense of ownership. There is a thief coming. There is a thief coming. Jesus will return. And he will take from us, if we're holding on to what's precious here, he'll take it from us, be it our life, be it our possessions. You can try and hold him away by increasing security. I have now got lots of insurance. I'm going to hang on to my stuff forever. Guess what? You'll still be robbed. Or you can move to Vanuatu spiritually and say, you know what? I am not invested in the things here. These aren't the things that own me. I'm going to lower my ownership and look forward to the arrival of the thief because he can't take from me anything I need and he will give me what can never be taken away. How do we prepare for the thief? Increase security? Don't do that. Lower your ownership and you'll rejoice when he comes. All right, so where do you want to go from here? So excited. Uh, This is part two, our experiment. Uh, Has anyone got a wacky part of the passage to let me do? Bernie, yes. 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20. Oh, that's fantastic. I wanted to go there. Steve, can you pull up 19 and 20 for us? Fantastic, very good. Okay, uh, one of the things I love about bushfire season is Elvis. Does anyone know what Elvis is? Big helicopter that goes and does the water bombing. Yep. So fire burning, huge bucket. This is looking down from the bucket. Can you see that? The bucket has a little electronic thing and then a massive amount of water dumps down on the fire to extinguish the fire. Have a look with me at chapter 5 and verses 19 to 20. It says this, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. In, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift that he had received. The Holy Spirit's in you, he says to Timothy, fan it into flame. Keep the Holy Spirit's work burning in you. Here, in the letter to the Thessalonians, Paul writes and says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't use Elvis to dump a stack of water on what God is doing. Don't quench what God is doing. Instead, we're not to treat prophecies with contempt. The first thing to say here is, uh, we must value the word that we have. So the first thing to say is, so my Holy Bible has a, um, a, stick, a, a picture on the front of it. It doesn't look very good. You've got one in front of you, yes? This is the word of God to you. It's pretty precious. 
Do you know there are thousands, hundreds, millions of people that don't have a Bible for themselves? And we have the incredible luxury of having so many Bibles, we can have one with dust on it. That's how we treat the incredible gift that we have. We'll let it grow dusty. It'll be unused on our shelf. We might even have multiple translations. Oh, I'm not feeling like this one today. I'll take the other one. All I would say to you, first and foremost, as it comes to here talking about prophecy, let's say that God has spoken through his prophets in his son, and we've got that in this word. Please use this word. Okay, first thing, value the word that we have. Number two, uh, when it comes to prophecies, are we fanning into flame what God is doing, or are we flushing it down the toilet? Okay, some of us might say, well, if you tell me that you've got something to say that you believe humbly might be from God for you, do we go, eh, no way? If you're doing that, you're doing something at odds with the direction of Scripture. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, is what it says here. However, however, it says something else here as well. And uh, I want to just quickly think about what are we talking about when we say prophecy? Um, I was trying to think uh, about the best analogy for this, and so I thought of the Queen of Australia. Okay, Queen of Australia. The Queen of Australia sits behind and above all our legal system, right? So all of our laws can only be made under her authority. If she was to re uh, retract one of our laws, we would have to retract it because she's the Queen. So she can speak powerfully in a way that can affect our country. But if I get a uh, letter from the Queen, right, is she going to change any international law in a letter to me personally? Nope. Is she going to change the law for someone else? Nope. What I would say to you is prophecy kind of has these two things. We have the legislation, the law, the beautiful good news from God here. It's unchangeable. You can bank on it. I think God, having delivered us the legislation, the, the way that we're to live, can also occasionally drop us a postcard. And I think prophecy is in this area. Okay? Drop us a post. Something specific, something personal, something timely. It doesn't happen all the time, but it can happen. And we're not to treat it with contempt. However, we are to test it. So how might we go about this testing? Let me suggest to you four things in the two minutes I've got left. Two, here are some ways to test if something is really from God. Okay, number one, if you look up later, Deuteronomy 13 verse 5, it should be in consistency with Scripture. What we see in Deuteronomy is, if someone speaks a word that takes you away from the living God, guess what should happen to them? It's the Old Testament, so you don't need to be too imaginative. They should be stoned. Why? If they speak a word that takes us away from what we already have from the living God, guess what? Totally unacceptable. So it must be in consistency with Scripture. Point number two, in, two, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, uh, Paul says that any spirit that confesses Jesus Christ is Lord is an acceptable spirit. But anyone that won't, shouldn't. So, first of all, the message should line up with saying that Jesus is Lord. So if anyone says to you something other than Jesus is Lord, guess what? Don't accept it. Point number three from Galatians 1 verse 8 it says, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel than the one that we received, it says, listen to this, let them be eternally condemned. 
So it must be consistently with grace. It must have grace in it, the good news of Jesus. If it's telling you, God says that you must, uh, let me see uh, something, you must be baptized by the Sydney Church of Christ or you're not going to heaven. There's one that's been said to me. Guess what? We're saved by faith in Jesus. If it's at odds with that and turning it into work, is it a word from God? Church, you can help me out here? No, it's not. And it's absolutely to be rejected. So if someone has a prophetic word that isn't speaking grace and the freedom that's found in Jesus to you, you must and should reject it. Point number four, there should be a consistency of their personal life. Jesus says that you'll know them by their fruit. So if you have a prophet, someone who's speaking in God's name and their personal life is a shambles at odds with God's, God's law and his standards, guess what? Flush it. Okay? There we go. That's, uh, that's prophecy. And I've got so many other fun things that we can do, but I'm not going to. I'm going to finish on time because I'm going to love the people who are in kids' ministry who are looking after our kids. But um, if you want a little bonus sermon afterwards, come and ask me because I've got some up my sleeve. Uh, Steve, can you go to, I think it's uh, 58 for me. Uh, so how should we wait for Jesus' return? How should we wait for Jesus' return? Well, uh, a bit like waiting for the good thing to come in the mail. Here's the points that I would have made for you. We should respect and be at peace with our leaders. We should be a loving community. We should be rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. We should be fanning into flame the work of the Holy Spirit, not flushing words from God down the toilet. We should be assured of His cleansing, that He will be at work in us, cleansing us from the inside out, and we should be a welcoming community that chooses to welcome people not just like me. Here's how he finishes up. Uh, next week, we're going to start 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We've got three more chapters to go in our exploration in Thessalonians. But here's how he finishes up his letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter. He says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, that's make you clean through and through, May our Holy Spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Be encouraged. Jesus will return, but he will save those who are looking expectantly for him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are the one who is going to come back. The one who's going to help us to stand until you come back and the one who will grow your church so there were more standing with us. Father God, may this be so we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen.